When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie and I'm not going to introduce everyone individually because there's so many of us on this wonderful episode. So what I will do is I'll just run through the people as they appear on my screen. So Joe Hill, how are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good, thanks. It's uh, nice to be chatting. Uh, it's a wonderful day down here in the big smoke, so I got my shorts on, so all is well, yeah. Good. Tom Alderson, you're the next on my screen. How are you doing? I'm good. It's actually nice weather in Leeds as well, which is probably more shocking than it being nice in, in London. I just, I just had a walk to the shop and it was actually sunny, so it's because it's rained for about what feels like a month now. And then the uh, the beheaded torso of Tom Woodhead is the final image on my screen. So, Tom Woodhead, how are you? Not too bad. It's good to know that the uh, the threshold for doing away with the witty intros is increasing the number of guests from two to three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beyond that, it just becomes too much work. But yeah, last time we did remark on the fact that it's just not fun doing intros when we don't have Darren to lambast so um, I think that's the real reason behind it all but uh, welcome to our season review I say our season review this is the first episode of three season review episodes so you'll be fed up with them by the end but um, in terms of our season preview last well this last season we're in that weird liminal space aren't we between how do we talk about last season as do we talk about it as last season or this season are we still in this season uh, a philosophical conundrum for the ages but um the 2020 2021 season uh, has just finished and we introed that season by doing an over under episode so we we thought a few theoretical scenarios up and decided um one way or the other which would be higher or lower or earlier or later or what would happen and it's good fun to go back and have a, a relive of those those predictions and hear just how little we knew about what was going to happen so I suppose this is the episode when we put ourselves out there as as not knowing anything so make the most of it guys these don't come along very often right I think the best way to go through this then is to just go through it question by question so we will put out the uh, the hypothetical and then have a little chat about how it ended up going and maybe a, a little bit more of a, a, a of a dig into why we think that things happened the way they happened uh, and then we'll have a look and do a running score of of the um of who who got what and who got what right actually during the recording of the original episode because I was hosting it there's actually about four or five questions where I don't actually give an answer so I've got some did not finishes and I still didn't finish last so um that, that make of that what you will but the first question was this do we think that Leeds can have a higher finishing position or goals conceded from set pieces now as you'll all know the finishing position was ninth Anyone to hazard a guess at how many set pieces we conceded from? Around 20? Yeah, it was a bit higher than that. 24 was wow. the number of set pieces we conceded. <laughs> and of that, there was 11 corners, 5 free kicks and 8 penalties. Um, so yeah, I think last season we maybe had conceded from 12 set pieces. So we've doubled our tally from you know, conceding from set pieces. So we could have finished in any position in the table at all and still would have finished... <laughs> Uh, a lower number. Yeah. 
and yet only 50% of us got this one right. So Tom and Tom said there would be fewer set pieces conceded than the finishing position. And John and Joe, ever the pessimists, especially Joe, famously pessimistic yeah. Joe, uh, said more set pieces conceded. And so they, they got the points on this one. Um, set pieces is is an interesting topic of conversation. It's worth maybe having a little bit of a chat about this. How do we feel about, about set pieces, Tom Alderson? Probably a lot more optimistic than when we actually recorded this podcast and probably again more optimistic than halfway through the season when it was just like we were conceding one a game I don't really think of them as an issue now uh completely I wouldn't say actually it's still a bit of an issue sometimes but yeah we just seem to have improved on it over the season and I think that would actually be something quite interesting to dig into exactly what caused that or if it would just look which we have suggested that it could just be the run of teams we played and the personnel that we had available Anyone got any suggestions why that might have been the case that we improved from set pieces? I think there was definitely a sea change when Melier at one point started coming for a lot more things. But to be fair, that seemed to recede again and he wasn't doing it so much towards the end of the season. I think maybe because he was getting blocked off by uh, players standing right next to him. Um, but I, I think it definitely helped when he started doing that. And I think in general, it's helped whenever Strauch has been playing. I think we've said that quite a few times. I can already feel this is going to be a long hour, by the way, like judging by uh, me getting the first question wrong, I, I think I might be finishing bottom on this. I say I think I was going to finish bottom. So I'm... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the set pieces thing, I guess, is is interesting. I, I feel as though we we felt very negative about them at a period when we played West Ham and Chelsea. I think in quick succession, and both of those teams hammered us from set pieces. So uh, whether or not that was simply a sort of narrative turn that that just sort of happened because we played those two teams together and there maybe wasn't a huge amount. You know, I mean, we did finish with the highest um, conceded set piece tally in the in the league, so we're obviously not great at them. Um, but I, I would probably suggest that that partly comes down to the fact that we do man marking from set pieces or almost exclusively man marking we do have a couple of zonal markers but um definitely something for us to to watch out for next season i do think i was quite naive and i think probably a lot of people were quite naive in thinking that the quality of the set pieces in the premier league wouldn't be any really much better than the set pieces in the championship you expect the technical quality to step up but you maybe don't expect the physicality and the sort of a and you know the the quality of the corners and stuff to step up in the way that obviously all elements of the all elements of play really are better in the Premier League. So the next hypothetical is a little bit more of a brain twister. So this was, do we think that the shirt, the combined shirt numbers of the top three scorers for Leeds will be higher or the points tally will be higher? Now, again, the points tally was 59. Anyone want to have a guess at the top three scorers for Leeds? Bamford. It's Bamford, Harrison. Rodrigo. And Dallas, I think. Oh, Dallas, Dallas, yeah. yeah. Dallas. So Bamford is number nine. He got... 17 as you say Harrison 22 got 8 and Dallas 15 got 8 that brings us to a total of 46 points so pretty high total but uh, not enough to get beyond the points total tally and I think we actually all got this correct Um, I I noticed that Tom Woodhead said this would be true unless Matthias Click was in the top three Um, he was the extinction event of this one and uh, so it proved to be he didn't make into the top three so we were all right so a rare um, a, a rare all right all the way through the 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 order there so that that was nice to see I guess in terms of the the top scorers we we can talk about uh, about Bamford um and I'm I'm sure we will we have done but maybe a a little bit of a surprise to see Harrison and Dallas in in that top three list I think um we were we we had a question later on about Harrison and own goals who was going to score more um and I guess a lot of us thought that Harrison's good season last season, I think he got six goals last season, probably wouldn't be replicated. So good to see Harrison actually um, being even more productive. Dallas, we've got a question about his long shots. And um, I was looking at his XG map, or his shot map, and I noticed he's doubled his XG by overperforming his XG. So he, he put up about four XG in, in um, chances and scored eight. So a remarkable season from him as well. So how are we feeling? It's weird, isn't it? Because I think the goal scoring was what we were worried about most after last season. And I guess that's our least worrying area this time around. Um, yeah, Joe, Joe Hill, what did you make of, of Lees from a, from a goal scoring point of view? Yeah, obviously it's been fantastic and it was really interesting to listen back to this episode, the previous over-under episode, to hear what we 
all made of who was going to make it in there and like you say a lot of us reckon that click might sneak in and a lot of us reckon that pablo is going to sneak in um and i think dallas probably would have been one of the last players we'd expect to be in the top three top scorers because he was playing at left back uh, for the majority of the time of uh well when we were recording that and the, the latter half of the previous season um so i don't think any of us expected him to sneak in so it's definitely been a surprise how many goals we have scored um and for a while we were on zero goal difference weren't we we'd i think there was a time that we'd scored 50 and conceded 50 so it's com- it's been completely bonkers um in in that sense but i think we managed to even it out at the end of the season and finished on about plus 7 or 8 or something goal difference um so yeah it's been fantastic and i'm really glad for dallas um to get into that top 3 position cuz I think he deserves it. I think he's had a fantastic season. And um, actually, just anecdotally, I think he's a bit unlucky not to have more goals. There's been a few that have pinged off the sort of corner of the post and the bar and a few that it seems like he's been quite unlucky with. So he might have even scraped 10 this season if he if he was a bit more lucky. Yeah, I guess looking forward to next season, how how do we feel about this? Is if, if maybe Rodrigo gets a few more goals... Um, and and when slightly un- less lucky with the with the points tally, we could be in, in for a, a good runner. So maybe I'll include this one in the in the next over under episode at the beginning of next season. But uh, let's move on. Uh, in the interest of time, I mentioned already that we had the Jack Harrison goals versus own goals. Um, obviously, last season we conceded a lot of own goals. I can't remember how many it was, but I think own goals was maybe our second highest scorer. <laughs> I think um, it was, yeah. <laughs> which is really bad. This time around, anyone want to hazard a guess at how many own goals we had? And do you want to name them? I did mention this on the group chat yesterday, so I'll be disappointed if you don't have it. <laughs> yeah, I still can't remember it, though. <laughs> I can think of two off the top of my head. Yeah, the two is the answer. Ah, okay. Um, so right. there was a, an own goal versus Sheffield United in the more recent game from Ben Osborne, and then there was the Romain Sawyer's own goal versus West Brom. Probably the most impressive own goal of the season probably up there for the uh, own goal of the season awards um jack harrison as we've said had eight goals so yeah does Meliers not count as an own goal uh, it's own goals for us rather than own goals against for, us. Oh, sorry i'm yeah i'm lost <laughs> yeah don't worry i made the same mistake yesterday there's yeah. two own goals against against us which was uh costas against palace and then um Meliers against wolves where Traore hit the crossbar and it came back off off his back uh, and those are the only two so yeah two and two in terms of own goals for and against which uh, I suppose is good in some in some sense you all went for Harrison getting more apart from me um, I went for own goals for the chaos so yeah you guys I think took a little bit of an early early lead here the next question was um, about calls for Bielsa sacking or uh, bad VAR calls we all went for VAR and I don't really think there's been any serious Bielsa sacking calls this season so um, obviously bad VAR calls come into that Tom Woodhead you were an advocate of throwing VAR in in every receptacle and then dumping it in the sea Um, what's your experience of VAR in the Premier League been? It's actually been worse than I expected Hmm. like I, I was expecting it to be awful and it's been significantly worse not so much the terrible the things like Pat Bamford's disallowed goal I mean if that happens occasionally I can sort of live with it, but it's this sort of this sort of shroud that comes over every time we score any goal. Like this, you know, you're suddenly in limbo for like a minute wondering whether it's a goal or not. You can't like spontaneously celebrate it. And I occasionally see people on the internet being like, uh, oh, you, you're crying because you can't, you can't scream when a goal goes in, grow up sort of thing. But why the fuck are we even watching football if, 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 if we don't care about stuff like that? Like it's, it's, it's it's literally by far the most enjoyable part of watching a team you support is that spontaneous moment of joy when you score a goal. So anything that diminishes that, and I don't care how fair it is or how good it is, and I don't buy in at all to this idea that it's the implementation of VAR that's the problem. <laughs> it's the laws of the game that's the problem, not VAR itself. Um, I just think there's it's not improved a single element of football for me and it has diminished a lot of it. So yeah, let's fuck it off. But it, we won't. We won't. Obviously, I think there was one match I was watching where I, f- I, f- I think it was Robbie Savage in my head for some reason, and he there was a goal went in, and he was like, "Oh, I think that's going to be pulled back," and I was like, "Just shut up!" Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that actually. Yeah, I think it was the FA Cup. To be honest, I don't know why. Why would you want to think that as immediately <laughs> after a goal goes in? It's just, it's just horrible. And I guess for Leeds as well, there's been some interesting VAR calls. Obviously, the the call against Palace 
that that I think eventually resulted in some of the rules being changed. Um, but I guess it goes both ways, doesn't it? There was the, the bizarre example of the the Southampton, the second Southampton game when Bamford looked pretty offside, and um, they didn't even bother checking it. And it, it does that Kane goal against that Kane disallowed goal against us as well was pretty much yeah. onside. Like. Yeah, and it does seem as though to me. Um, I noticed this yesterday from the the Europa League final. Actually, that they didn't actually. That it seems like the broadcasters aren't drawing the lines on the on the screens as much as they were. So I think maybe there's been some kind of agreement that the more you do that, the more controversial it's going to be. So they've. They, it just seems like they've not done that. So the United game, the the, the goal that they scored was um, was stopped for ages while they checked the goal, but they didn't show anything. So um, it was one of those ones where you, you're kind of like, why why wouldn't you show show the lines on that one? But just that taste of the in-stadium atmosphere of just standing around, not knowing what's going yeah, on, yeah. Like, you know, yeah. really bringing it into your home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what the broadcasters love to do, isn't it? They love to make the game more authentic for us. <laughs> the fifth hypothetical and interesting one uh, was more fans in the stadium versus all stats on we followers on Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, there's some interesting ones here. Tom Alderson, very negative. He thought there was going to be more fans in the stadium than there were, than we had. That's positive. That's not negative. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Depends how you look at it. If that's positive, then Tom Tom Woodhead and Joe were were both negative. Although Joe did say that he reckoned that was going to be over twenty thousand followers on the All Stats on Twitter. So so there you go. I didn't say anything on this one. This is my first did not finish. But I think we had eight thousand fans at the game at the end of the season, um, and that was the only game we had fans in uh, at Ireland Road anyway. So um, yeah, we have twelve thousand followers on Twitter. So the people with followers won. So Tom Woodhead and Joe picked up the points there. Um, yeah, I, I guess I don't want to talk about the uh, All Stats Aren't We followers on Twitter, but the, the fans in the stadium hopefully will be back uh, next season. And uh, I think for, for a lot of us, we've, we've remarked about the fact that football without the fans, you know, it's easy to say football without the fans is meaningless, but um, there is a very visceral sense when you're watching games that when there are no fans there, it feels like a transaction between broadcast rights holders and TV companies. And um, yeah, it, it starts to feel very, very pointless. Um, and it's just, even just having fans in the in the game makes it makes everything seem so much more meaningful. Um, and so hopefully we won't miss any games next season due to, due to COVID. Although, um, yeah, the, the numbers are going back up. So anything that this government can do to make our lives worse will, will presumably happen. So um, watch this space. Um, in the in the negative realm of of coronavirus, we did have a question about forty five plus minute press conferences or games cancelled to COVID. Um, Leeds didn't have any games cancelled to COVID. I think there was maybe about four games that were cancelled. Well, not cancelled, but uh, postponed due to COVID uh, in the Premier League. So we all went with press conferences over forty five minutes. Now I, I haven't gone through and checked all of the press conferences, but I can remember definitely one. 45 plus minute press conference so we were all correct on this one we all went with press conferences and, and that's the way it turned out to be pedantic point of order mm-hmm. was our Southampton game not in some way postponed due to Covid because Newcastle <laughs> I think had some games postponed which resulted in our game then needing to be postponed It was. Some... I would say that counts as being postponed due to Covid so wasn't it something like the Newcastle game was postponed so then Southampton were playing Shrewsbury in the FA Cup and Shrewsbury couldn't get a team out so they had to play that at a different time yeah. so our game was moved well Tom Woodhead if you want to go through and watch all of Bielsa's press conferences <laughs> to see if there was more than than one 45 plus it's one. not as easy as it used to be John I used to watch everyone uh, but there's definitely been a couple that have been quite long although not yeah. so many so I'm pretty happy with us going uh, presses on this one I'm willing to accept it I just I, I, I couldn't li- leave the record like that <laughs> the press conferences this se- season seem a little bit different don't they they don't seem I guess that's part and parcel of being in a different division with higher profile media coverage. I think he's a bit more, a lot more wary of the national media than he ever was with the mostly local media in the championship. Yeah, I think so too. So we haven't seen quite so many long, um, long press conferences. But every once in a while, there is something that he'll just get a bee in his bonnet about and talk about for ages. Um, so that has happened a couple of times, but I think less than than I expected was going to happen. Right, um, we have the the two domestic cup questions. The first one was quite good I think but the second one was rubbish um, and I will make sure that doesn't happen again next season but question seven was what comes first do we drop out of the league cup or do we get a first win against a big six side now in reality this was remarkably <laughs> not close um, because we got knocked out of the league cup 
on the 16th of September uh, 2020. Uh, that was our second game of the season. Um, so yeah, we were, the only way we could have beaten this is by is by winning it against Liverpool, which we didn't. The first big six win we had was the the City game uh, on the 10th of April 2021. So um, both Tom Alderson and Tom Woodhead, positive as they are, went for big six wins first. Uh, and again, the two negative. Nancy's Joe and John went with dropout first so we we took the points on this one a few good quotes from this one Joe Hill said realistically I think we'll see off Hull (laughs) (laughs) and uh, Tom Woodhead said I like the idea of having a good run in both cups this year (laughs) oh god yeah I remember that I was so hopeful and I think you followed up with like Bielsa did with Bilbao (laughs) (laughs) why not Bielsa got to two finals in his first season at Bilbao Uh, athletic club I should say but we didn't beat Hull and we didn't beat Crawley. <laughs> when we get to the final, you got to beat Hull. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. How are we feeling about the domestic competitions next season, Joe Hill? Are we, are we Is it another case of focus on the league and, and don't really worry too much about them? I always say this every every year, that it'll be great <laughs> to, to have a cup run. I always just like the away days. And I think maybe in the championship, it was a bit more important for me because it meant that I could go to the Emirates or if we drew... Chelsea or whoever then I get a good away day um but now I guess we're playing them anyway um you know maybe it'll increase my chances of getting a a ticket if I can't go to the to the league game I might be able to go to the cup game but in reality I think the same thing is going to happen where Bielsa's going to just take that opportunity like many managers do to play some of the players he hasn't seen much of that so far that season and then we'll probably end up having another horrific result so and kind of resigned to that fact but um it's a little bit it's the blow is softened for me a little bit this season because hopefully there'll be some good away days anyway at big stadiums I guess the the big thing about this season was that we had far fewer games than we have done in the past um and I'm interested how much you guys think that that actually impacted our, our end of season form, given that I think we put, well, we played 40 games this season, right? We played 38 Premier League games and then the two cup games, whereas we were playing at least 46 games in the season prior, plus the, the cup games that I think maybe we had three. So uh, what's that? 49 games. So it's an extra, it's an extra nine games on top of what we played this season. Um, Tom Alderson, do you think that that had any impact in just a sort of strongish finish that we had? It did have an impact, I reckon, because, I had a look at the form table for the last few games and the teams that were doing well were all the big teams and you think that must be something to do with them having a bigger squad and we were kind of like the only anomaly in that and you must think it, it is somewhat to do with like the fitness levels that we seem to, well we we're a lot, we're, tend to be a lot fitter than all the other teams and we're playing less games, you think it would favour us compared to those teams with like the smaller squads and aren't as fit as us? I would be quite interested to see, sorry, a, a sort of a, a games per week uh, this season versus last season because although we have played fewer games this season, the season has been sh- quite a lot shorter as well. I do think that you know we had that run in, in April where we, we pulled off some good results against the big six, but that was at points where each of those teams had a fairly busy schedule in terms of European competition. And you look at Liverpool, Liverpool had a a poor run around that time. And then as soon as they were knocked out of the Champions League, they've basically won everything since then when they've, when their schedules lightened a little bit. So I'm sure that it probably comes into it, into it somehow. So yeah, I guess next season, the scheduling should be fairly regular again, but um, whether or not that makes a difference, I, I have no idea. There's been a whole European Championships all summer though, so they're still yeah. all knackered. Yeah. And then the season after, they've got a World Cup at Christmas time. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's going to be absolutely awful, isn't it? It's going to. We come back after whatever that is, January, February, and we'll have probably like nine players out because of I don't know heat exhaustion or something. It's going to be great. Um, the other one we did was question eight, which was, um, are we going to guarantee safety or drop out of the FA Cup early? And now I back engineered this one. Um, we actually achieved enough points for safety versus Newcastle uh, in game 19. So uh, pretty much the mid midway point of the season. That was on the 26th of January. And even then, even back engineering <laughs> it, we still dropped out of the FA Cup for, for first um, because we dropped out against Crawley on the 10th of January there. Um, we all said FA Cup drop because uh, I think the question was engineered that way. So we all took the points on that one. But um, yeah, an- another disappointment in-, in the cup. And I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not particularly bothered. I would much rather us have done well in the league this season than, than in the cups. But I th- I'm sure next season 
there will be calls for us to do well in one of the cups, especially if we do finish in a similar sort of position. Um, because I think as, as soon as you start getting used to the fact that you're, you're a sort of mid-table team who may have a good season and creep into the European places, uh, you've got to do well in one of the cups for the fans. Um, so hopefully we'll see something like that happen uh, next season. First of our overly hopeful questions, do we think there will be more foreshore Premier League appearances or goals conceded against Manchester City. Now, does anyone want to hazard a guess at how many appearances in the Premier League Forshaw had this season? <laughs> yeah, quite. We were talking about Forshaw going to the dentist a lot on this on the past <laughs> yeah. pod, weren't we? We were like all getting really hopeful because he'd it's been finally to the solved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, that must mean he's going to get a few games. Didn't we have a long conversation about um, that period in the Premier in Premier League history when there was this sort of conspiracy theory that a lot of P- Premier League players stu- like suffered from some kind of exhaustive disease because of some issue with their teeth, and so there's players like Fernando Torres who was who was suddenly like rejuvenated because he went to the dentist and the dentist took a couple of his wisdom teeth out or something and it healed all of his issues. So I think we maybe had the same impression that that Forshaw was going to have the same thing happen to him. Alas, it. Did not happen, um, and he he did come within touching distance of, of maybe making a, re, a Premier League appearance, but um, yeah, it didn't happen. Goals conceded versus City, we expected double figures at the beginning of the season. Um, although Joe did say that he didn't think that City really scored that many goals against against some teams, um, but yeah, in the end, they only scored two goals against us. So um, even despite that, with everything in his favour, Adam Forshaw let us down. Um, interestingly only Tom Alderson went for City on this one so it was only him who got the points both Tom Woodhead and Joe were hopeful and went with Forshaw uh, and I did not finish again um, so next next, next time we do this just make sure that I put a prediction down um, and also probably make sure I note down what we predicted as we went along rather than what I did this time which was had to listen back to it and add them all up as I went But uh, question 10 Frank Lampard beefs or KP red cards um, yeah, so in the end, I, there was no uh, Calvin Phillips red cards. I predicted two, um, and you know, with maybe a little bit more officious refereeing, maybe I would have been right. But I think Lampard beefs definitely was was going to win this one. I guess the ultimate Lampard beef was that he got sacked. Um, uh, but the, the I think the best Lampard beef of this season was when he got annoyed at Liam Toomey of the Athletic um, just before he got sacked, saying oh, that yeah, the Athletic, that was great. saying the Athletic were negative about him and that it was bad journalism, despite the fact that the Athletic had consistently sort of polished his boots at every meaningful opportunity so um there's definitely there's definitely one frank lampard beef that i can remember there's anyone anyone else got any other frank lampard beefs that they that they stick out in their mind it's not so much a beef but i have quite enjoyed how ever since he left um certain commentators and pundits have been at pains at every stage to say about Tuchel's team well you've also got to give a lot of credit to Frank Lampard for the way he's developed these players the way he's brought them on so you know Tuchel's come in and done a great job but Lampard he, he put the foundations in place blah 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 yeah uh, yeah in a way that they never did for Maurizio Sarri when when Lampard yeah. was there right um, but yeah endless joy and and laughter and hilarity from Frank Lampard getting booted out of the, the the team despite the fact that his underlying numbers were actually quite good <laughs> uh, so yeah all good stuff um calvin phillips red cards i think joe tom tom alderson you were you didn't think that uh that that phillips was going to get many red cards and i suppose there's not really been many scenarios where he, he could have got them but even just watching back the game on um at the weekend against West Brom, that injury that he got was an awful challenge. And, uh, you know, if I think if it weren't the last minute of the last game of the season, he, he might have been in a little bit more trouble from that one. But I genuinely don't think it was a foul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, OK. Let's not talk about that then. Yeah, good season from KP in terms of the discipline side of things. There's not been many, um, I mean, apart from the fact that he injured himself in the last minute of the last game of the season, but um, going into the, the Euros, but... Good season from KP discipline-wise, do we think, Tom Woodhead? Yeah, I mean, uh, he's he's always sort of had that problem, hasn't he? Um, which was basically the problem at the end of that West Brom game where when he makes a mistake, uh, just after that is when he's most likely to do something really stupid and make a rash challenge. Um, and I think he's not really made many awful mistakes this season, so that probably decreases his chances of uh, of picking up a stupid card. Yeah, I wonder how much the uh, the midfield change sort of given him a bit more protection. Um, 
because it's it's so easy for that single pivot to make mistakes when you just sort of hung out to dry a little bit. Um, so I think it's maybe been a little bit more solid in the central midfield spaces. He's been helped out a little bit more by Stuart Dallas, so uh, that's probably been nice for him. Speaking of Stuart Dallas, um, question 11 was, do we think there's going to be more Stuart Dallas long shots or centre-back games missed to injuries? I think the the quote from Tom Alderson here was, we don't have enough centre-backs to miss that many through injury, um, which clearly (laughs) didn't turn out to to be the case. Last season, Dallas had 44 long shots, so shots from outside the box, which is remarkable. Anyone want to hazard a guess at how many he had this season? I'd say about 35, maybe, something like that. I haven't added them up because I've got a shot map in front of me, but I note overall he only had 48 shots. So right. if if he were to get more than he did last season, he would have only had three shots inside the box. There's about 24 by the looks of it. So yeah, still sort of splitting his splitting his time 50-50 between long shots and, and box shots. But um, Josh Hobbs would be at pains to point out to you that, that some of these long shots are counter-attacking chances so that both of the city goals were outside of the box but that doesn't mean to say they were speculative long-range efforts so I feel duty-bound to say that um, in terms of games missed to injury by centre-backs I've only included the four centre-backs um, because uh, because Berardi obviously is the um, again the extinction event of this one and I, I think he's only played 45 minutes at centre-back whereas he played 45 minutes at right-back as well so um, I think we can justifiably say that he wasn't an out-and-out centre-back but uh, anyone want to guess how many games Cooper missed to injury? About seven or eight? Twelve? Twelve is the correct answer yeah. Strauch missed one Uh, you'll remember he had one game where he he was just wasn't included and we had no idea why. Llorente? Twenty-five? Fifteen. Sixteen. And Robin Koch? 15 again. 16, yeah, again. So in total, that's 45 games missed to injury from our four centre-backs over the course of the season, which is pretty hefty. So, um, yeah, Stuart Dallas' long shots was much lower than that. Um, so, yeah, let's see who... Everyone went for Dallas' long shots, so we were all wrong. Um, I said, do you think Stuart Dallas will be our, will be our starting centre-back this season, uh, which was a, a misspeak. Um, it wouldn't be a, an all-stats, aren't we, episode without me, me saying that. And, um, yeah... So so there we go. Dallas hasn't shot as much from outside the box, um, but he has been playing in central midfield. So I don't know if anyone wants to make anything of that. I guess we had a lot more chances last season. I guess we had a lot more games against deep-lying teams who, who just sort of let us play around the edge of the box and Dallas eventually got frustrated and had shots, which explains that. But um, yeah, it, it appears that his perhaps his long long shooting has even got better. So, uh, anyone want any thoughts on Stuart Dallas's long shots and the the criticisms that we gave him, and and now they they seem to be ironed out. I wonder if it's something to do with Josh is probably going to have a go at me here because but as like is he shooting into a less packed box, so it's like almost easier to get a shot on target, whereas before there there's like ten people in the box and. Um, He'd he'd have a probably he'd probably sky it over the bar because he was just trying to just beat the bodies that were that were all in the way. I don't know. I've I've completely made that up on the spot. That might be completely wrong, but I wonder if there's anything in that. Yeah, I'm sure there is. And um, look, I don't think it's the necessarily the worst thing in the world. There are arguments to be made that shooting from distance are is not a bad thing uh, because it does sort of give you another option that defenders have to think about. Um, not that I think that a huge amount of defenders would be worried about Stuart Dallas's long shooting but he's, he's he's got a good shot on him actually with both feet um and and he has obviously got important goals this season it, the, the funny thing is is I think in he's probably one of our more dangerous finishers when he's in a good shooting position um so hopefully we'll we'll see a little bit more of that next season right Helder Costa I feel a little bit bad about Helder Costa but um yeah we the question that we asked was will Helder Costa get more points on fantasy football or will Leeds' final expenditure from last summer be higher? Um, anyone want to guess? Tom Tom Alderson, you're a fantasy football player, aren't you? Yeah. Do you want to guess how many points Costa got? 60. 63. Oh, yeah. not too bad. And in, according to Transfermarkt, we spent €105.78 million Euros last season. Um, last summer so yeah very much the expenditure that won um, we all went for expenditure apart from Joe who went for Costa because he was feeling particularly positive about Costa Just so Joe do you want to make any any excuses for that pick? I think the other side as well was that I just couldn't imagine Leeds spending more than 90 or 100 million in the summer 
and I thought that Costa would probably get 90 or 100 points, which is sort of standard for a midfielder that plays most of the season because um, we hadn't signed Rafinha at that point as well. So, yeah, may- maybe I was overly positive and I don't think I anticipated that Costa would sort of drop out of the team um, after about 10, 10 game weeks. We didn't know about Rafinha then, though, it's true. did we? We had no idea that Rafinha was going to be playing for us this season when we recorded that. And we recorded the podcast six days before the season began. Um, we also had no idea about uh, Diego Llorente as well. So I think Costas did start the season quite well as well. So uh, it just, it's just one of those things, really. Uh, I think if Rafinha hadn't come in, maybe he'd have had a better season. Yeah, no, for sure. So this one sort of got scuppered a little bit by, by the fact that Costa didn't really get many games. Um, we talked a lot about Gvardiol and uh, Rodrigo de Paul as well here. <laughs> Neither of which obviously happened. So again, interesting to see how different the season turned out from what we expected it to be in, in that regard. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Speaking of signings, the next question was Rodrigo under-23s appearances or Gelhart Premier League appearances. Now, obviously, Gelhart had zero. Um, who wants to guess at Rodrigo under-23s appearances? Was it two? It was at least one. It was three. It was three. Oh. Um, so, yeah. Um, again, most of us went with Rodrigo, but Tom Alderson went with a draw on this one. Um, I guess the thing to talk about here is, is Gelhart, um, a player who's played consistently well in the Premier League too, um, but hasn't really got anywhere near getting an appearance for, for Leeds. Although I, I think he's still a bit injured at the moment, isn't he? So um, how are we feeling about Gail Hart next season? Um, Joe Hill, do you think there's any chance we could see him making a start at any point? I'm not sure really. Um, I think I said this on the last pod and I think I stand by it for this one that we don't really see Bielsa doing that too often. I think he, maybe he will play in the cup if we if we do get a cup run, but he doesn't really put in under-23s players that often at all. We've seen the same thing with Shackleton, where he's just struggled to make any appearances, and probably Shackleton will end up finding a new club in the summer or going out on loan, um, at, which would probably be the best for his development, to be honest, because... You you know, there's only so much that you can play under 23s football before you just need to play the the proper f- adult game, you know, whatever you call it. Um, so yeah, I think it might Gelhart might find him in the same situation, maybe making a few bench appearances, but ultimately being a bit unhappy with that and possibly going out on loan. Shackleton's a player that we haven't really talked about in this, or didn't really talk about in this episode at all. Um, last the beginning of last season but looking back on it now it's easy to say with hindsight bias but how much better off would we have been if we'd have sent Shackleton out on loan this season um, I don't know if, if you have any thoughts on this Tom Woodhead well we would have had to have someone else to bring on in the 93rd minute uh, <laughs> to run around for two minutes so I think he's, he has performed that role admirably but he's not even done that recently much has he no no I, I mean Shackleton and Gelhart I think have both suffered from the same thing which is always getting injured at the wrong time um Gelhart I mean I'm sure he would have played in that Crawley game if he hadn't been injured because it was I think it was Greenwood that ended up playing in that Crawley game in the end wasn't it or or he came on or I can't remember if he came on or started but I'm sure Gelhart would have had an opportunity then and I think once you actually get that opportunity to show what you can do in the you know in the sort of in the framework of the first team it it, it doesn't take much to go from being an under 23s player to being part of the senior squad I think if you do well 
Um, so it always seemed like with Gelhart that he would get these little niggly injuries like throughout the season. It seemed like he was injured four or five times. That might not be wrong. That might not be right. But then again, same with Shackleton. Like just after he got into the team for was it Villa that he played, um, and then and then yeah, got in and played really really well in midfield, and then got injured again. So I think he's been very unlucky uh, in that sense. Um, and yeah, it probably would be better for him um, now to play somewhere um and it doesn't seem like Bielsa has any desire to to play him very often I mean I think he would have got some minutes at least against West Brom if if he was a serious part of the conversation for appearing in midfield so yeah uh it'll be really sad but I think it probably is more likely that he either goes out on loan or gets sold in the summer than anything else yeah I think it's just a weird scenario where we're going to end this season with with um, Shackleton having made barely any appearances um, where we could have loaned him out somewhere to the championship or to league one and he came back with you know 1500 minutes under his belt and you know potentially a scenario that you would end up with someone like um, Alfie McCallman who's coming back with a really good loan spell under his belt and and no doubt having made a big difference for his career whereas it just feels as though we've just seen another wasted season of, of Shackleton and it's not like he's even come away with anything for it so um, it's not like he's earned his way back into the team um, I think he probably would have had a much better chance of doing that had he been away for a season and had a good loan spell somewhere but um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how things pan out with him Question 14 was Bamford XG performance over or under performance or points versus the top two. So Liverpool and uh, Manchester City, that was the top two from the previous season. Um, anyone like to hazard a guess at what Bamford's XG was? He got 17 goals in the Premier League. I feel like Ooh. he was roughly tracking it. It was about 17. I yeah. think he was like, tw- oh, did he track it? I thought he it was tracked it, yeah. That. So seventeen point three. So he underperformed by zero point three expected Useless. goals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get him out. That's a big chance that, which he would have missed. Right? Am I right? Yeah. That's why he's not going to the to the Euros. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's why he's not going to the Euros because of that wild uh, performance. So, um, and obviously the points versus the top two is five. So, yeah. Bamford very much not winning this or winning this. I don't really know how you how you put that, but the points points were higher. So um, Tom Alderson said he thought Bamford was going to uh, underperform by more points than we picked up against uh, top teams. So because we didn't lose all of our t- games against the top six, Tom Alderson lost. So <laughs> unlucky, Tom. The rest of us took the points in that one. Um, Bamford, we do need to talk about, um, although we talked about him a lot. But yeah, it was nice to see that um, I actually... I think it was the first mention of Josh Hobbs's piece in this comparative episode last season um, because I said it's never been mentioned since because he got it so wrong. And it's never been mentioned since. <laughs> it's like talking about the first time that the Bible was ever read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I said, oh, we're bringing out a piece this week about, about Pat Bamford and whether or not we think he's going to do quite well in the Premier League. So, yeah. And the rest was history. The Josh Stick Gospels. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Gospel according to Hobbes. Um, sounds like a Will Self book or something, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> enough of Will Self. Um, yeah, Bamford, do we think that, that this is sustainable then? Happy again to see this sort of similar tracking of XG next season? Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> right. Uh, Stuart Dallas again. Um, this is the this is a funny one. Do we think there's going to be more Stuart Dallas midfield appearances or Pablo Nutmegs? Um so I went through uh, and counted all the Dallas starting in central midfield um, games. There was anyone want to hazard a guess at how many there were actually? Fifteen. Twenty-five. Twenty. Fifteen is the correct answer. Oh. Uh, nice. Uh, anyone want to hazard a guess at how many nutmegs Pablo had? Two. At least one. <laughs> Three. This is according to FB Ref, and they say that Pablo had zero. Oh, nutmegs. he definitely well, did one against There was one West in the last West. game. Yeah. Well. Take it up with take it up with FB Ref, but they're not taking it seriously enough. <laughs> <laughs> they're not counting properly. <laughs> Let's have a pop quiz. Who can name any of the top three um, uh, nutmegs producers uh, for the leads in the Premier League? So I'll give you I'll give you each a guess. Tom Woodhead, you can go first. Rafinha. Rafinha is third on the list with five. Tom Alderson. I just want to say Lorente. <laughs> Lorente doesn't have any. He's, oh, he's a shame. on the list. Although Pascal Strauch yeah. does have one, so make of that what you will. <laughs> Joe Hill, do you want to guess? Alioski. Alioski is top. Yes. He has seven. Wow, really? Seven nutmegs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's one in between 
Rafinha and um, and Alioski. Ailing. Ailing is the right answer, yeah. Alioski got seven. Ailing got six. Rafinha got five. Bamford got four. Harrison and Click and Pervader got three between them, or three each. Costa got two. And then Phillips and Strout got one each. That's good numbers for Pervader, to be fair. Yeah, considering yeah. the amount that he played, pretty high per. I reckon per ninety, he's probably got the got the uh, the edge on people here. Um, but I didn't look at the per ninety figures. Um, you all went for Pablo. We really didn't think Dallas was going to be playing in midfield this season, and we thought that Pablo was going to be playing a lot and not making everyone in every game. Um, I did not finish on this one, so yeah, no one took any points from this one. Uh, and this was the moment at which Tom Alderson said, "I just hope Dallas never plays in midfield ever again." <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, love it. Right, question sixteen uh, again, Pablo, uh, and, and again, us being wildly optimistic on Pablo. So the question was, do we think there's going to be more Pablo first team minutes or total under twenty three first team minutes? Now I've just done this in the Premier League, um, but it was very close. Anyone want to? Guess how many minutes Pablo played in the Premier League last season? Four hundred. Two. Two minutes. Two fifty. <laughs> Tom Woodhead. Ah, uh, yeah, about 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 two hundred fifty. I'd say same as Joe. So Pablo and I just played four hundred and twenty-seven uh. minutes in the Premier League last season, and in terms of the under twenty-three first team minutes, now these were players that. We, we were careful to note that, that Pascal Strout was a senior player and Shackleton was a senior player. So I've included on, the only three other players who are under 23 who played, which is Jan Pervader, Niall Huggins and Leif Davis. Anyone want to guess how many total minutes these guys played in the Premier League? I know about Pervader because I'm doing the wingers section for the All Stats <laughs> okay. season review. Well, H- Huggins played 45, so you can add that to Pervader. Davis played like 30 against City? Did he play anyone else? Don't remember him playing anything else. Was it even 30? I think he, I think he played 30 against City. So I'll ruin the enjoyment here. Leif Davis played 30 against City and then played three against someone else, I think. So that's 33 minutes. Right. Niall Huggins played 38 minutes oh. in, in the game that he played. And then Jan Paveda played 355 minutes. And if you add those up, you will not believe this. It comes to 426 minutes. So one minute less oh. than Pablo Hernandez. <laughs> You all said Pablo, so you all got this one by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> Pass with flying colours. Again, I did not finish on this one, so no points for me. Um, but yeah, remarkable how how positive we were about Pablo um, going into this season. No doubt because we were coming off the back of a season where he'd been really important for us. Um, and obviously the, the play style that we had to sort of had inflicted upon us was very much trying to break down low-lying teams so everything sort of worked out well for for him in that regard but obviously we've shifted our style of play this season to being a little bit more of a deeper line team who then try and hit hit on the counter-attack quickly at speed and and you know there's there's a time and a place for for everything and we saw that Hernandez can play well in in that sort of uh, game when he he got a couple of assists didn't he or was it was it two or three assists against Newcastle in the five-two game? Um, so obviously there was there was scope for him to to do that against some of the the lower teams. But I think just for whatever reason, it was dis- determined that you know he 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 wasn't up to playing the the style of play that we expected from him, and so we didn't see much of him. So um, how do how do we feel about? I mean, we've obviously just gone through the the final appearance of, of Pablo, and he's been a great servant to the club, um, but. How do we how do we feel about Pablo from a I guess maybe more more from a tactical position? Was it simply just that the the way we ended up playing the game just didn't really suit his skill set? I, th- I think so because like, I think what we said on the uh, review of the West Brom game, like I don't think him playing would have made much, I don't think it would have been any better. I don't think it would have been any worse. And I just think um, he just his his body eventually just caught, caught up with him, and I, I just don't think he'd have been able to hack that style of play that we ended up playing this season. I must say, I, I do feel sort of sorry for him that because um, I think he had three starts. Then he started against Liverpool, and then obviously West Brom, and the other one was uh, the first Leicester game. And when you look at the lineup for that game, like the you know his 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 only real chance in, apart from Liverpool to start a meaningful game, and he was in midfield with Click and Shackleton, which just feels like insanely lightweight uh, in terms of uh, physicality in that midfield, and 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 not the mid you know not the people that you want helping Pablo out in a when, when he's struggling physically anyway. Let's move on. A few more desperate questions towards the end here. So question 17 was, do we think there's going to be more games with zero subs or do we think there's going to be more nil-nil draws? Um, 
I don't think we had any games where we didn't make any substitutions. Um, and we had two nil-nil draws. Anyone care to guess the games that came in? Arsenal and Chelsea. Right? Arsenal and Chelsea, yeah. Tom Alderson, Tom Woodhead and myself went for subs and Joe went for draws. So he gets the, the point there. Um, yeah, I don't think there's too much to say here other than, yeah, we, got, we didn't expect any nil-nil draws really. And pretty much that was the way it was heading apart from those two uh, games so yeah I think we were partially correct on that although the the play style did change as we've said so we were maybe slightly more likely to get those nil-nil draws um, in the second half of the season although the Arsenal game was in the first half of the season and I think that was probably more of a game that we just didn't take our chances in um, question 18 was Rad Ritzani PR horror shows versus January signings now again we didn't sign anyone in January so if Rad's made any PR horror shows then he was going to win this and we all went with that apart from me who did not finish um, we made a lot of the maroon kit causing a lot of uh, angst but in the end that didn't really turn out to be the, the way but I'm pretty sure that we can probably find a Rad's PR horror show in there somewhere I think we would go with the Karen Carney uh, event it counts as a as a pretty much as a PR horror show with Rad Ritzani coming out and saying that he uh, uh, um basically supported them doing that so i would like to say something about rad's propensity for producing like really shabby last minute t-shirts for the players to wear he's utterly <laughs> obsessed by it uh, at the end of last season we had those um those sh- those clearly home shirts from two y- two seasons ago um retooled into these weird champion shirts that the players had to wear backwards then those bizarre the damned united are back ones that you know there's the famous photo of Mateus click smoking a cigar then this season we had the uh after the super league we had the players wearing those earn it t-shirts and then again at the end of the season we had the, the pablo and Berardi ones which were quite nice but i don't know the, the man is absolutely obsessed with manufacturing cheap last minute t-shirts and i don't know that that is a pr horror show in my house (laughs) if nowhere else yeah so we all you all went for rads on this one so i think that's uh that's fair enough no doubt those pr horror shows will continue anyway moving back towards the football uh, and again we seem to have a fixation with games lost to injury for centre-backs but um question 19 was is there going to be more cooper games lost to injury or alioski starts um we've already said that cooper had 12 games missed for injury um i went with starts for for alioski alioski in the end made 36 appearances last season he missed two games in the premier league which is remarkable really um especially because we all thought that barry douglas might be in with a shout of making some appearances and uh, that clearly never happened but anyone want to guess out of those 36 appearances how many of them were starts most of them like 32 <laughs> yeah like 30 27 he made there was a few he went through a phase of of missing out and dallas played um left back quite a bit at the beginning of the season before he switched so yeah um but there was a, a, quite a lot of the time in those appearances Dallas would start at right at left back and then they would bring on Alioski and move Dallas central so yeah um yeah we should I, I don't know why I was going to talk a little bit about about Dallas playing midfield but we don't need to talk about that um Alioski I suppose is an interesting player in and of himself in and of his, himself but um what's the general consensus on Alioski Joe Hill are we expecting him him to be playing next season or do we expect him to be moving on I think I expect him to be moving on I think the club have probably identified left back as one of the areas to strengthen in the summer and it's it's sort of the same thing with Shackleton, really. It's just whether he's happy being on the bench for a season. Obviously, Alioski is a great character and all the players seem to love him. So if he wants to take on that role of um, just being more of a character dressing room player, um, then he's welcome to because I think the banter um, is, is good for the club. But um, I just don't. I just can't really see that happening i think that he'll just want to play football um especially considering he still plays for the national team so i think he'll just want to get minutes and i think he'll probably move away it didn't seem as though he was necessarily treating the last game as his last game for leeds though yeah it's kind of it's kind of interesting wasn't it i felt a bit bad for him if it was his last game because baradi and hernandez were getting the sort of honorable exit and then he was just sort of you know, if that was his last game, everyone's just quietly forgotten about him. Last couple of questions then. First one is question 20, ailing flop or goal, which is going to happen. Now, I have watched the first 12 minutes of the Liverpool game just to make sure that ailing didn't make a flop before 
Jack Harrison's 12th minute goal um, and he didn't so it was in fact the goal that won we all went with flop um, we haven't seen much of the flop this season I think we've maybe even seen potentially more flops from like Stuart Dallas than, than Ailing so maybe he's losing his, his branding it was like it wasn't working for a bit and mm. then he's early maybe, on in the season yeah yeah then he's maybe he's got his the, the flops up to the level of the Premier League and then <laughs> it all yeah. culminated in that amazing one versus Southampton which is the greatest Ailing flop <laughs> I've ever seen <laughs> Yeah, he man- yeah he managed to cut the players' run off with the flop. Then almost, <laughs> it's true though. Like he tried it a few times early on in the season, and it went really badly. So I think he stopped doing it a bit for a bit. And uh, yeah, it's back with a vengeance now, and I'm loving it. Do you think there's going to be more flops next season? Then absolutely. Mm, good. I think he's worked. He's worked the refs of the Premier League out, yeah. especially when he's got a full pre-season under his belt. <laughs> I, he will be able to get the <laughs> flops up to a level we've never seen before. Right, there, cool. So that's something for us to look forward to next season. Uh, question 21 was a bit of a flop. It was, um, do we think there's going to be more consecutive click appearances or do we think Rodrigo de Paul's final value will be higher? Now, Rodrigo de Paul didn't move anywhere last season, so um, his value is still a little bit up in the air. But I thought I would put this one out for you in terms of, um, could you guess how many consecutive click appearances there were in the Premier League last season? I think he was dropped around game... 26 27 maybe so about that 26 i was gonna i've got 18 but i think that might be too low joe i was gonna say even less to be honest i was gonna say 12 or something but i'm probably underestimating yeah click had 18 consecutive appearances in the in the premier league so he did he did stop starting after i think he didn't even start in the manchester united game rodrigo started ahead of him because he got injured maybe he got his first injury a few games before uh, and then he was still being brought on off the bench and it was, wasn't was until later on where he really didn't um, I mean he sort of fell off a cliff at some point he, he did his um, groin again on the pitch I think against Leicester maybe um, when when the pitch was at its worst so it was just a, it was just a combination of like him getting little injuries and then then playing him on through the injuries and then him picking up slightly worse injuries and it just compounded so yeah I think after 18 they they realized that they were going to just have to rest him so uh yeah after playing whatever it was the season before 46 games or 45 games or, or whatever it was he he only had 18 in a row but that brings us to the end of the of the podcast episode so i thought we would go through the scores on the doors and uh, see who who actually was the most predictive of our of our hosts last season um so in last place joint last and this is embarrassing for tom alderson because i did not finish on five occasions so i had you know <laughs> five points up for grabs here yes so tom tom alderson <laughs> and i finished on 10 points each uh, and then in second place with 12 points was tom woodhead which means that joe hill with 14 Get in. is the man who understands the future <laughs> best. So um, we'll be back at the end of the summer at some point doing another one of these. So we'll have to start thinking of better questions. I think there's some pretty shocking t- questions in there, but this was the first time around we've done this. So hopefully we'll be, have a better sense of what to do next time around. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to do the same thing again. And hopefully we'll be able to beat Joe this time around. But I think that brings us to the end of the episode if you like what we do and you want to check out more stuff then josh hobbs and i are currently planning a, a mini podcast of victor's water victor water one for the patreon podcast which will be coming out in the next few days on nathan nandez the calgary player who is being linked with us at the moment um, so that'll be a 20 minute episode just looking at the ins and outs of his career and what it is that he's good at and what he is what it is he's not so good at and how he might fit into a Leeds United team under Marcelo Bielsa so if you like that then head over to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we uh, but I think that brings us to the end of the podcast and so all there is for me to do is to say thank you Tom thank you and I, I would say it's absolutely no shame at all to lose a contest um, concerning the future to someone who is steeped 24-7 in jazz. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you, Tom. Thank you very much. And thank you, Joe, as well, and congratulations. Thanks very much. If anyone wants the lottery numbers, just DM me. (laughs) (laughs) Have you got anything else you'd like to say to to the audience? Anyone you'd like to thank for your great performance in last year's podcast? Yeah, I guess just being wildly optimistic all the time (laughs) sometimes (laughs) pays off. (laughs) Most of the time probably doesn't. Well, thank you very much, and we will see you guys very soon.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.